Welcome back to another episode of First Issue Club, the weekly podcast that aids you through the muddy and murky waters of the comic book landscape. Each Wednesday, we collect the first issues of the week and bring you the ones we think are worth talking about. Matt, tell them what books we'll be choosing this week. This week, we're covering Farmhand, number one, from Image Comics, She Could Fly, number one, from Dark Horse, and The Amazing Spider-Man from Marvel. Alrighty, before we dive into the books, let's find out who's in the club, and taking a, a theme from Farmhand, if you could switch any appendage or organ with a zombie appendage or organ, what would it be and why? My name is Caitlin Morosik. I think I would go lungs for obvious reasons that my lungs currently existing are terrible. Are garbage, yes. Yeah, they don't, they don't work right, they hate me. And so I would probably be first in line at that farm to be like, hey, let's let's switch it out. What do I got to do? I actually think your lungs are just two plastic bags filled with Kleenexes. <laughs> because you do not breathe right. No. No. Asthma? Yes. Yeah. Like severe asthma. It's like you ate sand as a kid and it just like stayed in your lungs. No, I poked, I, I, oh, yeah. I coughed a hole through one of them. That's a real never, thing. They've never been the same. <laughs> You have a yeah. hole in your lung. I did. It healed oh, okay. itself, which is nuts. They didn't Whoa. even do anything. They which just is a had superpower. Me in the hospital for a few days. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. This is Greg Lichtai, and if I could have an organ or an appendage of my choice, it would definitely be abs, <laughs> because in every zombie movie I've seen, uh, every zombie's pretty cut. <laughs> <laughs> like they got. I don't know if they're doing like Pilates or like. Keto, but every zombie's looking really, really good, and I would actually kind of dig on having some uh, taut 12 zombie pack. It's the constantly walking slowly diet. That's yeah, it's, they're yes. on the move. They're, they <laughs> yeah. never stop moving. That's, That's what it is. A good point. <laughs> it's high cardio. Low resistance. Low resistance. <laughs> I'm Lynette Miranda, a.k.a. New Comics Lover, a.k.a. Comics Femme. Follow yeah. me on Twitter. Mine is pretty modest. I would replace one of my ears with either an eye or a hand. I don't know. I think, like, it would be really useful to have more eyes. I don't know. I don't, I'm a very untrustworthy person, and I get really paranoid. So, like, another eye in my ear. But also a hand would be really helpful for doing my hair or helping me grab something. Like, yes. So I think just I'm thinking more practical. Is this arm the size of a normal arm? No, just from wrist to fingertip, oh. like a little hand. Oh, okay. Yeah. Could it be like a baby arm? That way, like, it could, like, feed you <laughs> while you're, like, driving or something. Hands-free fucking everything. Yeah. Dude, it's like new Bluetooth. It just, like, <laughs> it just hangs there, holds the phone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that Bluetooth? No, it's a baby arm. <laughs> this is Matt Hodap, and I don't have a good answer for this question. I was also thinking if it was, like, a true zombie appendage, like, if it was, like, a dead, dead flesh like zombie appendage, mm-hmm. definitely my butt. Because, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you want that dead butt? Because <laughs> my, uh, you know, when you like sit wrong and your butt gets all tingly because mm-hmm. it's numb. Mm-hmm. I just love that feeling, and I'd love to have that all the time. <laughs> Matt sits awkwardly in every no. chair, so all of his uh, extremities. You must love go driving numb. long distances. Actually, I actually he does. Do. <laughs> <laughs> you tell me you don't like that when you're like, ooh, it's numb. <laughs> Whose butt is this? It yeah. doesn't feel like my butt. <laughs> and on that note, let's get this podcast started.
mine was so feeble. I think I try to go feeb- more feeble every time. <laughs> yeah, like it's just a faint whisper. <laughs> started. Let's, let's, let's get this podcast started. Can we get this podcast started? Can we get it started, please? First up, we have Farmhand, which is on Image, both words and art by Rob Guillory. So Farmhand is about... Zeke and his family, who are visiting his father's farm, where he and his sister grew up, his father, Jed Jenkins, has grown his modest little farm into a stem cell organ-raising farm. And there's lots of mysteries around it, lots of visual context clues, family baggage happening. One thing that I do want to mention that was really fun reading it is that the family is a biracial family. Zeke is a person of color and his wife is a white woman and his kids are mixed and I and I think that that dynamic is really fun. Not necessarily in the comic itself but just as a broader narrative and I love that and I love that they're coming from a rural background and they grew up on a farm, uh, Zeke did and his sister. Yeah and this new farm is like full-on Willy Wonka-esque <laughs> growing body parts from trees and the roots of trees. Like, this is not your normal, like, scientific farm laboratory thing. This is like... Right, we, we've understated it. They're growing human body parts. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> ap- how, how, like, apples would grow from a tree. There's fucking hands in the trees. Yeah. Like, There's hearts in the ground. Yeah. There's kidneys in the roots. <laughs> this is, like... Completely bonkers. <laughs> scalps in the bushes. Yeah, scalps, yeah. In, the bush. scalps in the bushes. Scalps in the bushes. I'll meet you by the scalp bush. Yeah. No, you won't. <laughs> they even have their own slugworth. Canoodle behind the scalp you- bush. <laughs> the little kid. Oh, Do you oh yeah. Yeah. I want to say something about that. So there's this little kid who has like this robotic arm that I guess other countries want to steal this information from this farm. And use Especially it for their the own. Russians. Yeah. Oh, yes. Commentary much. <laughs> There's been so many Russians in these comics. Yeah. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> but, yeah, so these other other countries, presumably other than Russia, want to steal this technology that's in this farm. So you ha- we have this event where this little kid has this mechanical arm uh, that looks like a real arm that he's going in to steal things. They catch him, and this little kid knows, like, this, like, weird karate stuff. But the reason this kid got in this room was because of... The stupid trope of a security guard who's supposed to be guarding the most highly restricted area is fucking asleep. Yeah. Every every restricted area that people sneak into, there's one sleeping guard. I have an idea. How about not put that guard by the most restricted door? That should be one of your interview questions. How likely are you to just fall asleep on a shift and leave yeah. whatever you're doing Do you totally have narcolepsy? <laughs> they should test them. Yeah, they should. But here, I'm going to throw a wrench in that. What if Jed doesn't need to do that? Because at the end, he replaces the kid's arm, and it fucking has teeth. And it grip, yeah. and he's like, yeah, if you want to fuck with me, <laughs> yeah, he can control it. There's a weird relationship I he has with the organ. Agree. Because mm-hmm. he does say, like, his people know his voice. And he seems very, it just seems a little sinister of, like, I'm attaching this arm to you, and it has something to do with me being able to control its... Yeah, because he's like, you can go live a normal life or you're, you, the people that hired you will basically dissect you. They've done it to others to get this information. But basically he's like, they won't get the information because they don't know. And this is what I'm, I'm reading into it, that there's something else that Jed has control over these organs. So they could find out all of the science that they want, but they're still not going to find any information. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. uh, this book is weird. 
Yeah, I, I just realized it. he doesn't say my people know my voice. He says my sheep know my voice, which is even creepier. I love this because there's layers about family that have to do with Jed that paint him as both a loving and caring father and grandfather that a lot of the implication is that he has this power and I'm not sure if it's like he's evil yet, but he is sinister. I think you've said it. It's like something that the family has to contend with. And like, I think it complicates our relationships with, with families, right? I think that, but I, I like him and I love his, y'all come back now, you hear? Like, I love that. I love like his like. Down home. Yeah. So you all, y'all go visit your grandpa next weekend and he's growing human body parts in a giant farm. What do you do? I know what I do. Try to get in on that action. Yeah. <laughs> I want that money. Mm-hmm. Yo, they're about to go work on that farm. Yeah. yeah. It's an exaggerated form of this analogy, but I think it is a common experience that people have had where, you know, when you haven't been home in a long time and then you go back home and visit your grandparents and your grandparents have maybe gone through something and they are just totally different. And there is a feeling of this used to be my home and now everything is weird and Mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable and it is kind of back of your spine like tingly, like something's off. That's that's kind of what that subtitle is about, right? Yeah. You can go home again, but, but why? why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Where did they grow the butts, though? <laughs> I thought it would be a butt see bush. Any butt bush. No butt bushes. Butt vines? I think they probably that grow like potatoes. <laughs> like you just keep in dirt and you pull it up and it's just like a bunch of butts on you, roots. You just have all the little hump cheeks out yeah. in the field. <laughs> what size do you want? <laughs> do they fart? Like. <laughs> oh. <laughs> The stinkiest plant ever. <laughs> they have their own greenhouse. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of greenhouse gases in there. Yeah, and there's just dick weeds everywhere. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> See, they did have a pamphlet in so much in the in the gift shop that said private parts, and yeah. that was one thing that I saw that I was like, yes, they addressed it at least in some way. That's amazing because <laughs> that's what I thought. I was like, you know, some oh, people are like. This oh, one yeah. doesn't work, or like I don't like the way these look. Vagina flowers and dickweeds. <laughs> That's good. Where would boobs grow? They could be like apples. You just <gasps> pick them off. Mm. Like, <laughs> were there brains? I did not see brains because if you grow a brain, is that a human? Oh. Mm. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, if they did grow brains, they wouldn't be very zombified, would they? That no. element would be kind of lost. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he can't. Aren't we all zombies, man? In one way or another? <laughs> no. So before we get into this book, uh, it covers a lot of heavy material with mental uh, mental health issues and OCD. So this so. could be uh, potentially triggering for some people. So just a little warning um, if you want to skip ahead about... 10 minutes, we should be out of this conversation. (laughs) Now we have She Could Fly from Dark Horse by Cantwell and Morazzo. She Could Fly follows a young woman named Luna, a 15-year-old sophomore. In her world, there is a woman flying around. No one knows why or how, but Luna becomes, would you guys say, obsessed with this flying woman? It fits into her current obsession. Yes, and it kind of like just encompasses her whole world. And Luna, what disorder is she? Flavors of two different things. Yeah, she for sure has OCD. Uh Uh-huh. And I think there's a little bit of a flavor of schizophrenia or something other other delusion-based. Well, we get, in the book, we get these scenes where reality is happening, and then in Luna's mind, it takes over into like this fantasy scenario of what 
she thinks will happen if she allows herself to be her true self. There's parts where her mother gives her a cactus and in her mind, Luna shoves the cactus in her mouth and bites it and starts bleeding and kills her whole family. It, it revolves around a lot of Luna hurting people, either hurting herself or strictly her family, really. And her compulsions are based in the belief that she can keep those things at bay if she does certain things, certain amount of times or in the right way. She can keep right. the people that she wants to keep safe, safe from her. Yeah, she has these rituals that she and, has to do in order to yeah. just get through daily life. I mean, this was a really, it was a complex book about something different than a flying woman. That was pretty insane that you have this book that you think is going to be about a like, just based on the title, I could come up with something that I think it's going to be about, like, this girl who discovers she has powers of flight, and, like, this is what it's like, and then the whole book is not about her at all. Right. So, so yeah, that was the first thing that strikes you, and the first thing that's really intriguing about this, especially, so, we have this woman who can fly, we know nothing about her, and the way it's portrayed is very much in parallel to, like, the Superman idea. You know, it's it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman, and, like, taking how, if if Superman existed... But we didn't know his story. He was just this flying thing in the air, and someone on the ground was viewing that. Like, what? How would that change their life in particular? Mm. Um, I think that that doing that as a take is incredibly fascinating. And like you said with the title, "She Could Fly," it's it's really poetic because it's like, you know, Luna could fly metaphorically in her life if it were not for this mental illness, right? It's like she could fly if for if not for this. And what I loved about this, that the letter that Cantwell had at the, in the back is that Luna has primarily obsessional OCD or pure O, and that's a diagnosis from the writer himself. So a lot of the scenes that are depicted, um, for example, Luna running over uh, an old person on a walker and like killing them, that's actually something he referred to in the, the letter in the back that he's actually experienced in um, having this delusion because of his undiagnosed OCD. And I think that's super powerful because a lot of it becomes really dramatic. It's like all of a sudden she thinks she's killing her mom or her dad um, or her grandma. For folks that don't have mental health issues, that may seem like so over the top, but OCD becomes one of those really intense mental health issues, especially if you're on the more severe side of the spectrum where that's actually real and I love that he wrote that like those are real things that have gone through my own mind well it's also a it's a different take on OCD than we normally get I think a lot of people when they think about OCD they think about like oh someone needs to like turn the lights on or off eight times and they need to wash their hands like 16 times before they feel okay but what he's talking about it, it's an OCD of ideas like your brain gets caught on this idea that like I'm gonna kill someone even though there's no you you don't want to kill someone, but your brain gets stuck on, like, I'm going to kill my family, and it can't get off that, and you become obsessive, compulsive about that idea. It does really try and put you in her experience, too, because when these things happen, the book doesn't tell you that that didn't happen, and, like, the first time you read through it, it, it the way that the panels change, it seems like it is actually happening to, like, four panels later. Yep. Yeah. So it really does put you in that sort of, like, what the hell? Yeah. What's going on? Please show Which, me that person alive again. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't do that, right? Right, which I'm sure is, I mean, I, I don't have uh, pure O, but I'm sure that is similar to the experience of, like, the anxiety and the fear when these images come into your head of, like, ah, like, what is happening? 
Um, and then I'm sure you double back on, like, what's wrong with me that I even think I could do that. Right. There's a whole lot of torture that goes on internally in addition to having this that you're struggling with. You know what I was thinking about? The whole section where she runs over someone, there's sort of three panels where it shows her running over them, and then she, like, goes to jail, and she's, like, locked up and totally covered, and she's like, they're going to take everything away from me. I do remember when I was in high school, uh, a senior in high school, that entire year I had this weird thing where, like, I would have dreams, and also early in the morning, I would, like, have this, like, anxiety that I had done something illegal and that I was going to go to jail for it. It was totally irrational, and I haven't had it since then, but it was, like, really making me remember that. And I think it's something that people can relate to um, if they have anxiety, this feeling of, did I I did something wrong, and I'm going to lose everything. (laughs) I fucked up. The world hates me, and yes. they're gonna lock me. Am away. I sleep killing I, again? <laughs> I have that ongoing, but it's not as severe as like legal or, or like criminal stuff. But it's more like social things. Like I wake up and I'm like, did I dream that or did I actually do that to someone? And they don't like me, and I need to message them. Like I stop myself on hitting send to so many apologetic messages because I just think that I'm doing something that I'm not aware of or can't mm-hmm. make amends for. Mm-hmm. That's so. I'm glad that you brought that up because I don't really talk about that because you think, oh, that's an insane thing to tell someone that you do or think that you're going to do. I I genuinely think that this first issue is setting us up to understand this character and then sprinkling plot that's going to happen later. I don't think it's going to be all about, like, I think the OCD and the mental health is going to be important, but I don't think it's going to keep focusing on that because it did that in this first issue, especially with the letter. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the things that um, Cantwell talks about is that he was undiagnosed for 35 years and that it isn't gone, but it's liberating to like understand it. And obviously a lot of folks that are this severe are medicated and go to therapy and stuff. But what I love about it is that it doesn't end in any kind of hopeful way, but it ends in a, in a place where things are about to happen. And is this woman that flew like finally gone? Is this, is Luna going to become the center of this story in terms of there's something there that's to be explored and that I predict will move into a, a place of like empowerment through understanding her own mental health. I don't think it's going to be right away. I just think that there's something that she's going to go through in terms of understanding how she deals with the world that's going to then inform the plot in some well, way. I will say this woman who's flying is viewed as this sort of hope for Luna. There's a lot of panels where she's like, if I could just be her, if I could just fly. And I think that's a really relatable feeling of, for people who have like a lot of deep emotional issues or mental health issues, to make it personal for me, you know, I've been going, I was going to therapy for a while and I had a lot of issues with depression and self-worth. And there are times where like, you look at other people, um, for me, it's like people in my field who are like, working on big national shows and are, like, big producers for these, like, major podcasts. And there's this feeling of, oh, if I was them, these emotional issues wouldn't matter. Like, if I could just fly, if I was the superhero, that would somehow make all these emotional issues irrelevant. If then hypotheses. Right, right. (laughs) And I think a lot of Luna's story is going to be learning that even the people who are the superheroes, that doesn't completely get rid of you having to still deal with your own issues and learn about yourself. And I think that's going to be a lot of where this narrative goes. Here's what this does. It does two things. It informs a general audience about what what a type of OCD is in a, in a way that comes from an experience that is true to this writer. 
it also opens a door for folks experience this or things similar to this because it's such a spectrum. Mm-hmm. It makes somebody who's ready to read this feel less alone. And I think that that's like a lot of art, regardless of mental health issues. Like if you're a POC suburban kid in a predominantly white community and you listen to specific music, Tyler, the creator, somebody who's like specifically thinking about suburbs. Like I think that there, there are moments where you're, if you feel marginalized by your experience, whether it's, it's external or internal, that art um, in all of its forms can make you feel less alone. And I think that that's really important for especially folks with mental issues because I think that they, mental health issues, because I think that they oftentimes are so in their head. And last but not least, we have the amazing Spider-Man from Marvel, Words and Art by Spencer and Otley. This issue had a lot going on, a ton of narrative. It at times felt like I was reading too much of Spidey's inner thoughts, but it didn't overall feel too tedious for me not being so well-versed with Spider-Man's history um, and previous ongoing series. You do get occasional references to the one, the series right before this written by Dan Slott, But you also have so much going on in this book that you really can't pay attention to one thing too much because you're moving on. Yeah. Just a quick breakdown. You have Kingpin and Mysterio causing personal and professional problems for Spidey. You have a load of super cameos. So many people fighting together against these tiny green things that are swallowing their faces. Um, You have a really cruel flashback to Uncle Ben's demise. Yeah. That was so— You don't need to do that to me every time. Spider-Man books. I'm fine. Just a friendly reminder. Uncle Ben is dead. Yeah, just remember that and also that he allowed it to happen. So quick little jab there. It was a lot. What did you guys think? (laughs) So does anyone know? A couple things. Does anyone know why he's in the black suit in the first few pages? It's a flashback. It's a flashback. Done. Check. One thing I loved, the green bug things. So... I, if you're reading Avengers right now, like the Avengers are fighting a bunch of insects, I won't ruin this because it's a spoiler, but I will ruin it sort of. In Amazing Spider-Man, they're get, they're all fighting these bug things, and it's sort of a fake out of a tie-in. Like you think it's going to tie into Avengers, and then it's a fake out. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so fun yeah. yes. and great. It was awesome. Kingpin I, looks like Gru from Despicable Me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like going down the list of <laughs> things that I thought about. Let's this. just fire these off. Um, I, I have some some thoughts as this is my first Spider-Man comic that I've read. Yep. I've seen the movies. I generally like Spider-Man and Peter Parker. I think what I liked about the overall themes of Peter's struggles that they talk about really like explicitly is his need for validation. And I love that because I think that other superheroes, whether they're in the movies or the comics— their struggle is always with, like, their own heroism and their, like, darkness in in the case of, like, Batman, like, and their own, like, the weight of the world on their shoulders. And Peter just deals with, like, he's a little self-absorbed, like most of us, you know? Do people like me, though? Yeah. Like that's- yeah. yeah. So the central pressure point of this book is that he played—he didn't plagiarize. So Doc Ock— <laughs> 
Oh, this is going to take some, uh, take some explaining. Did, yeah, so also did not talk about this Doc portion. Ock was in Peter Parker's body. Don't answer it. I don't care. His whatever, whatever it was, I don't give a shit. <laughs> but Doc Ock was controlling Peter Parker's body. And during that time, he decided to go to college. Yeah, he did a cool thing for Peter. <laughs> what the fuck? He's like, you should get an education, young man. You're so close. And then he got his graduate degree grad for him. Grad school, man. So it's a bitch. <laughs> While he's walking around in Peter Parker's body, he decides to go to grad school for Peter and get him a degree. And the central problem with this book is that there's this company that figures out, can tell if anything's plagiarized, which, like... Buzzkill. Who gives a shit about Honestly. plagiarism Well, anymore? I kind of wondered, yeah, why that task force was even set up. Like, is there right. really that much deep dive that we need into this at this point? I feel like that was just for Peter. It was weird. It's it like was set alumni. Up by Kingpin. Well, it was set up by yeah. Kingpin, for sure. The, the whole central issue is... They do Peter's dissertation as, like, a public example of how this works, and everyone finds out that Peter didn't write it, and it was played, and it was really written by Doc Ock. And so, like, everyone's pissed at Peter about that. But how would they Who, know if he was in his body? That makes no sense. They, they don't. That's why he can't explain himself yeah. either. So he that's can. why... The, the great thing about this comic was they do a great job introducing you to how great Peter's life is, and then they take it all away from him yes. in, like, six pages. He lost his job. He lost his education. He maybe has married Jane back in the in the end of the book. Just I, as I friends, which is still a blow. No, to him. they kissed. I thought they kissed. That was the flashback too. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Where? No, but I think at the end. I it ends. think we the second second ending. <laughs> oh, also this book <laughs> ends like ending? three different times. Yeah. Also, as someone who has not read mm-hmm. Spider Man, how imp- how much do we care about him getting back with MJ? Is this like a thing? Not at all. Uh, I kind of do. I like them together. Yeah. It's weird. How it's long like have my they been apart? People magazine thing. <laughs> it they've been apart for a, actually a long time, a few years. Okay, four or five years. Be- like yeah. So she matters. went off and did her own thing, and she worked with Tony Stark for a while, and she came up like a, up in the ranks of that company. So she's fine. She's out doing her being Miss Independent, and Peter's yeah. all cut up about it. But I like them together. I think yeah. it's nice. But I was really disappointed. That the whole book wasn't really about him rooming with a supervillain, if I'm being honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is a great point because I was very invested in that. Me I was like, too. take him down because yeah. he seems like a dick. I and hope it comes up later, but yeah, that was just like breezed over. Yeah, he's he's roommates with a supervillain. The supervillain doesn't know he's Spider-Man. Mm-mm. No, but he's also like, but we also need the rent, which is also like, do you? You just said you had a salary and benefits like halfway right. through. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of millennial jobs. morally corrupt because if you <laughs> You need the rent, and you're taking money from this guy, and you know he's getting the money by stealing it from right, banks. Right, Also, then, when you're trying to stop him from stealing banks as Spider-Man, are you like, well, I shouldn't stop this one, because we really need a new fridge. Just enough for like, rent. That does fit with his whole thing that he's doing, where he's, like, torturing himself because he doesn't he he doesn't do the wrong thing, but he doesn't always do the right thing. Like, yeah, which would have been cool, like... Spider-Man's roommate is a supervillain. They get into hijinks, but also, like, they don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that seems, like, cool. Who drank my 2% milk? <laughs> <laughs> that Yeah, I hope that gets explored more because that's really funny. I could yeah. turn into a lot of uh, interesting interactions. <laughs> yeah, you'd also think if you're Robin Banks, you can do better than, like, a three-bedroom with two other guys. You know? True. Part Maybe of the he cover? Keeps it modest. Yeah. yeah. He's, he has a... a a modest savings set up for if he ever gets kids, college fund. <laughs> right. Uh, one, uh, his maybe, 401B. Maybe the kingpin is like squeezing him though. 
because yeah. he was the kingpin getting... squeezes everybody. That right. dude has his hands in many pots. So maybe he's actually being As commissioned said, to do these jobs. He looks like Gru from Despicable. He does look yeah. like Gru. <laughs> sure. why, why am I supposed to care about that's, any of this? Like... <laughs> that's why we do this show, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> also, okay, so it ends. I don't care. I'm going to spoil this. The last ending gotcha. is the the college is like. Well, actually, we've decided to give you another shot to, at getting your degree. So, like, is this run of Spider-Man just going to be, like, you know, 20 pages of, like, no text and him just in a library looking at books, writing a dissertation? Yeah, like, he's trying to, what? like, MLSA format or whatever. Yeah. So Peter writes his dissertation, and it's just him, like, <laughs> writing. On, like, what? And, and also, I don't care if he has a college degree. What are these stakes? These stakes are stupid. Also, they treat it like like the whole world is, like, Peter's been exposed. Are you te- are you kidding me? If if the you know science section editor at the Kansas City Star, we found out that he had plagiarized his college dissertation, that would be like page four, yes. maybe. Yeah, and we would be like, oh, all right. Yeah, I, I don't even read fuck. it because it's not in the comic section. Like, are right. you really saying that Kingpin has infiltrated the lamestream media <laughs> and has like, like gone cares. to everybody to be like, pick this one up? There's always a humor to everything, mm-hmm. which gives it brevity in life and like makes it a really fun comic for adults like us and kids who we kind of are. So that's what I got to say about Spider-Man. Yeah. I will probably pick up the second issue. I think it's good. I think there's like You'll a lot pick of it up? Yeah, good, I think you can pay for it. <laughs> Rude. She makes her own money, so of course she can. Yes. Oh, we're a couple by the way. <laughs> Oh, wait, and Caitlin and I are a couple. We've never said that out loud. We, oh, yeah. We could have done Couples Corner this whole episode, and we this just This is a didn't. double date. Wow. Oh, cool. Cute. Yes. Yeah. yes. We got coffee here in front of us. <laughs> we are on a double date. Jesus Christ. Alrighty, let's end this bad boy. And another episode comes to close. Uh, we are recorded at the KCUR Studios in Kansas City, Missouri. We are a proud member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Uh, go check them out. Uh, FountainCityFrequency.com. There's a lot of other great podcasts for you to uh, enjoy. Uh, the editor and producer may be on the show right now. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> um, we're on every social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Go check us out. Go like our posts. Go interact with us. We love talking to you guys. Uh, write and review us on iTunes. We really appreciate that. Um, five stars really helps us out. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars, please. Five stars. (laughs) Good lord. (laughs) Podcast demon. Oh no. Back in effect. Oh no. (laughs) Podcast demon, have you rated and reviewed us yet? Yes. You did. Five stars. Oh my god. Thank you, podcast demon. Uh, As always, our music is by Primary Color Music. Those guys really knock it out of the park for us every time. Uh, They're getting a Grammy, right? They're up for a Grammy. They are up for a Grammy? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Guys, we are best podcast soundtrack. That doesn't surprise me, actually. Yeah. It's, it's be- well earned. Yeah. It's between them and a MIDI player. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I actually think we're in the running. Um, in it to win it. <laughs> in it to win it. Uh, guys, I had a great time with our Double Date podcast today. <laughs> um, so um, until next time, this is Greg Lichtai signing off. Signing out. Signing out. (laughs) (laughs) I am Caitlin Morosik, and I will show myself out. This is Lynette Miranda. You can find and follow me at Comics Femme. Longtime listener, regular time caller. Yeah. (laughs) I have been Matt Hodap, and I never will be again. 
Bye.